You're listening to episode 147 of the Tennis Files podcast. Building your roadmap to mental dominance with 17-time Grand Slam champion Gigi Fernandez. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today, I have a fantastic guest for you. Uh, speaking of one of the best, we have 17-time Grand Slam champion Gigi Fernandez on the podcast and a couple uh, weeks ago, actually, I think a week ago, Gigi and I decided to talk about how to improve your mental game. And uh, Gigi came out with a really fantastic uh, product. And depending on when you listen to this, you can check it out at tennisfiles.com slash mental dominance. That's M-E-N-T-A-L-D-O-M-I-N-A-N-C-E. I still know how to spell. That's good. But um, what it's all about is really helping you to uh, to figure out your mind and then to to use it as a powerful tool to defeat your opponents and just to help you progress. And so this uh, this interview that we did where Gigi actually asked me on uh, some for some mental game advice for you all and then I turned the tables and then asked her most of the questions. but it's going to help you gain some perspective from one of the fiercest competitors really in the history of tennis. And uh, definitely if, if the mental game is important to you, and it should be because that's where all success comes from is the mind, then you're definitely going to want to tune into this podcast episode to really learn a lot of, uh, a lot of really helpful nuggets uh, from Gigi and a few from me as well. So uh, enough blabbering on for me in this intro, but um, I will now kick it off to our interview that we recorded, which was actually a live stream. And I've turned it into a podcast just for you to listen to on your favorite podcast app, whatever that may be. All right. Well, um, with that, here is my interview on Gigi Fernandez on how to build your roadmap to mental dominance. So, Marban, you're on the hot seat. And I'm so happy that I'm flipping the tides. And now I get to interview you because normally <laughs> I'm the one being interviewed. But we're both we're going to have a nice little chat. Um, so I wanted to know. You just did this, the Tennis Summit, which was a very, very cool and amazing um, online learning experience for everybody. And you had a full day bit, uh, that was surrounding the mental game. So I want to know what were your top three takeaways from yeah. like, what, is this, what you learned? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. First of all, it's an honor to uh, be in the same chat room as you, Gigi. I mean, you've just accomplished so much in the tennis world, 17 Grand Slams. It's really incredible uh, all the experiences Thank that you you've, yeah i mean it's it's really uh, mind-blowing so yeah so uh, it was really a fun event and uh, a, a few takeaways for you all uh one of my favorite interviews was actually with rick macy and uh, what stuck with me from him was he said that you control the situation don't let the con situation control you so really important to just mentally kind of as he terms it flip the switch in your mind and uh, be able to just take hold of it. You know, at least whatever you can control, you can control that and then you can ignore the rest. And so uh, that, that was one big thing from Rick Macy. Just uh, whatever so how, do you how do you flip the switch? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I tried to prod uh, Rick on that. Uh, I mean, you know, basically it takes practice and it just takes you making that decision on your own and having that conviction, uh, you know, in your mind that, you know what, just, I'm going to, I'm just going to change my attitude right now, basically. Yeah. And uh, 
that's kind of what he described to me as far as flipping the switch. And so uh, he's, you know, he's a yeah, great it's coach, like, obviously. It's, mm-hmm. For me, it was always um, changing the focus from something to something else. So something you don't want to be focusing on to changing it to something that you want to be focusing on. So if you're in a match and your mind has wandered or you're focusing on the negatives or whatever, you can always bring it back to focusing on trying to win the next point. You know, and I think when I played my best matches, all I was thinking was I got to win the next point. And it was almost like a mantra. You know, I got to win the next point. I got to win the next point. That's the best matches I ever played. That's kind of what I was thinking about. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how you flip the switch. It's not easy. And like you said, it's a skill, something you have to practice. And, um, you know, and, and some of the things that you, that you do off court, it's what's going to help you be able to switch this, this, uh, switch, flip the switch yeah. or flip, flip the switch. Yeah. Flip the switch when you're uh, on the court, like practicing concentration off court and practicing, you know, meditation and just be mindful, yeah. mindfulness, just like sitting in a chair for 10 minutes and thinking about nothing other than, than breathing in and breathing out is, um, those things translate when you go on the tennis court, you know, the ability to kind of calm yourself down and, and just focus on one thing at a time and really um, can make a difference. So yeah. what else? That was one. What else? Yeah. So, I mean, so you kind of just named it, but I mean, there was a really good session by uh, Micah Babel, who you're probably familiar with Gigi, but yeah. uh, you know, former WTA uh, tour player and she, her session was all on mindfulness. And this is something that's uh, changed my life for sure. And it really is applicable to, to uh, playing better tennis. I mean, what I personally do is I use uh, an app called Calm, but there's also another app called Headspace. And these are uh, apps to help facilitate meditation. And, you know, the key with meditation is it's, you you basically accept that you're going to have all these extraneous thoughts and that your mind is going to wander. But the key there is to, exactly, is to just come back to, you know, your your breathing and, and the present moment. And so that helps so much when you're playing tennis to when your mind similarly wanders or you think about the score or what's, you know, somebody watching your match, you just kind of come back and use that same sort of uh, technique that you, you use in meditation and mindfulness. So um, that was a great one. I just figured I'd go to that one because you just mentioned it, it was a good transition. Yeah, that, that your meditation um, the skill that you just mentioned and how I define it is it taught me the ability to change one thought for another without judgment or emotion. Because when I first started to meditate, like you said, your mind goes off and you're thinking about the grocery list and the, all the things you have to do. And you're supposed to be thinking about your, your breathing in, breathing out or your mantra. Uh, and at first you get really annoyed. It's like, damn it, I'm thinking about that again. And then slowly <laughs> it's like, okay, well, this is how it goes. Like you said, you're going to, you're going to lose concentration and you just bring it back gently, nicely, and you start being nicer to yourself. And, and that totally translated on the court because when something would upset me, I learned the skill of changing that thought for another and removing the emotion and the judgment. It's like, it's okay that I missed that ball because now I'm going to try to win the next point and I'm going to forget about that one. So, so yeah, that's meditation. Um, I wonder how many people meditate. Um, Ooh, good question. Right? I'm I mean, going to type that. Gonna get a race of hand here. How many people meditate? Um, it's nice, Jason. There you I go. Meditate, yeah. Um, you know, it takes. You know, you can start with five or ten minutes at a time. You know, right? It's funny because when I was playing, I was very disciplined about meditating. And just so you guys know, when I learned to meditate in April of '92, and I went from there to the French Open, the European swing, obviously played um, Italian Open, won the Italian Open. Then I won the French Open in June. I won Wimbledon in July, the Olympic of Milan in August, the US Open in September, the Championships in October, and the Australian Open in January, all in a six-month period after learning how to meditate. <laughs> and it was 100% that also, and I learned how to breathe. I learned um, diaphragmatic yeah. breathing, which is breathing from the diaphragm, mm-hmm. like really deep breath in through the nose, out through the nose. Um, not in through the nose, out through the mouth. A lot of people breathe in the nose out the mouth but as you get uh, as you become more a more advanced breather you're able to bring it breathe in through the nose and out through the nose making like this kind of darth vader sound kind of from the throat so those two things really help me um and i you know and it will help anybody like it's not this is not just for pro athletes like um meditating and being uh learning how to breathe can help anybody in the mental part of the game 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Huh. Yeah. And Gigi, I'm, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just curious about the, the diaphragm breathing and you said breathe in and out through the nose. Like, is there like a number of seconds you're supposed to do it? Like, did you do long holds? Or, yeah. So, uh-huh. um, so as you become better, you, your breath becomes longer. And you're like, right now I can, I can do two breaths in a minute. So I can breathe in for 15 seconds and breathe out for 15 seconds. So it's really long, but it's, but, and then when you do it, you're, um, I'm going to try to demonstrate it, but you breathe in. I don't know if you can hear that, but it's, you make like this um, throaty sound, like, or like a ocean sound. And then, I don't know if you can hear that, but it's, it's from here. It's not so much. And then when you breathe in, you just continue to breathe in and you get oxygen all the way down to your diaphragm. Um, that's why it's called diaphragmatic breathing because, you know, as, as we normally breathe, we're using about a third of our lungs and um, it's not efficient to, in competition to get, you don't get enough oxygen in your body to like, you know, get your, your muscles uh, loose, the more oxygen, obviously that you have circulating through your, through your blood and through your muscles, the less tight you get, the less tired you get, the less lactic acid buildup you'll have. Um, so the breathing was super effective, just not just in helping me calm down, but also in reducing injuries and lasting longer in matches. Um, so and those are two things that are, you know, anybody can do. Awesome. So what's your third takeaway? You got two, you got one more. Yeah, I got, uh, I got a couple, but I'll, I'll choose one more, which was interesting for me actually. And, uh, it has to do with routines and uh you know i don't know how many of you have heard of him but zoran stoikovic so he's a, a mental expert based in vancouver and an interesting technique that he he mentioned on the, our live stream was that if you get distracted between or, or you know in between points then he had this method where you pick one physical skill and one mental skill so for example uh again if you get distracted then you're going to squeeze your fist and say focus. So I thought that it was interesting. And this is also something that Jeff Greenwald, similarly, he stresses to use like these sort of techniques, uh, you know, to, to get you back on track. So uh, that was interesting for me that he, what he suggested was to, to you know, implement one uh, physical squeeze, action. Squeeze your arm. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Like kind of squeeze, tense your muscles? Yeah. And, you know, there were many different choices for that because it was basically like choose one physical action and then one mental thought. So the, his example was squeeze your fist and then say focus, but it could be like slapping your thigh and then saying, um, come on or, you know, something like that. But uh, right. it's, it's just interesting. It was like a sort of routine that you can kind of build into your uh, your habits uh, during the match to help you refocus. So I didn't know, do, do you have any sort of like physical slash mental type of routine? Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you're saying squeeze, one of the things in you, if you watch players, you'll see it. Usually they try to hide it because you don't want to let your opponent know that you're tight. <laughs> but when you're tight, if you squeeze your arm super tight, like even tighter than you are, and then you relax it, um, that's a relaxation technique. So you squeeze, you could squeeze your whole body super tight and then relax. And then if you do that three or four times in the end, you'll be more relaxed than when you started your arm. Your, and by that, by that be more relaxed. I mean, your muscles will be less tense. Um, and that's a very effective relaxation technique. Um, I had so many things. I had um, this, I used to go, go to my happy place. You know, I had a happy place, which was, um, in, I used, grew up in Puerto Rico. And, at, you know, we used to go on the boat on the weekends with my dad and my family. And then we were always coming back Sunday night, heading back to port. And the sun was setting over the horizon and I was sitting in the front of the boat and they, I feel the air in my face and that's my happy place. So anytime that I was stressed out or anxious or, you know, lost focus or just was um, angry or was uh, overwhelmed with the situation, uh, I would just pretend I was there. I would just kind of close my eyes on the changeovers and pretend I was there and I would start to feel relaxed. And sometimes I would even do it before for like two seconds before hitting a return when you, or before serving when you have a lot of free time. And, um, and you know, the, the thing is like your brain doesn't know the difference between perception and reality. I don't know if you've all heard that, but if you put um, mon- monitors on someone's brain and you measure the activity of thoughts, you, you will have the same 
activity in the brain as if you're having the, that um, physical uh, experience. So you can think you're in a relaxing place or you can be in the, the relaxing place and your brain has the same uh, physical activity or the same activity uh, in, of, of the neurons in your brain. So, so basically, you know, I, I became um, like my brain was my enemy, you know, like I, it, because your brain's always trying to bring you down, right? So how I battled this, it was like, I was in a competition with my brain and I did not want it to win. Like I, I did not let it win. So I did not let it take me down and not let me put me down and not like let it take control over me. You know, and we all tennis players and athletes were so competitive, right? We never want to lose. We're ultra competitive. So, um, so if I could turn my, that into a competition. So now it became the game of it's not winning. I'm going to beat it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was super helpful to um, kind of focus on something, something other than um, just, you know, what I didn't want it to be focusing on. Yeah, yeah definitely the, the, the tightness and the, and then what telling yourself for me, um, you know, focus is an interesting word to use because when you are out of focus, um, just saying focused for me didn't, didn't get me in, into focus. You know, like you have to focus on something. So for me, it was always, I have to win the next point. And that, that should bring the focus that I needed because focus to me is too spread out. You know, focus on what? What are you focusing on? You need to kind of pinpoint it more. So maybe you focus on hitting the return in the court or you focus on getting your first serve in you focus on how do I win this point? Um, that's the, you know, my only observation on that focus word is I had trouble with that one. It didn't quite work for me just to say focus. Yeah. And I like that you made that distinction uh, near the end there where like when you, when you, thought about um you know the the best thoughts for for you that would be like these these specific like oh i'm focusing on getting the return here or there because i think a lot of times people uh, players will focus on like oh i've got to win this point or i need to win this match and then that's when you kind of go haywire so is that something that that you did you always focus on the specific strategies instead of like the overall outcome yeah, I mean, you, you really never want to think of the outcome, you know, and, and my, um, one of my favorite phrases uh, when I was playing and really what became my career motto was detached from the outcome. Um, yeah. Anytime that I had an important match or I had uh, something riding on anything, I had to tell myself to detach from the outcome. And, you know, the story of how that, I'll share the story of how that happened because it's actually an interesting story for those of you who had not heard, have not heard it. I've, I've told it quite a few times, so I apologize if you already heard it, but um, I was playing in the 1992 Wimbledon final um, and my partner was uh, Natasha Svereva and we were playing against Yana Novodna and Larissa Neeland. And we were down 4-1, two breaks, which on, and they were serving 30-15. So basically when you're playing on grass and you're down two breaks, the set is pretty much over, right? So fortunately it rained and we came off the court and I asked, um, you know, the guy who was helping me with a mental game comes up to me and he says, gee, you have to detach from the outcome. And I was like, I can't, it's impossible. I can't detach from the outcome. Like it's a one woman final. Like, are you kidding me? I cannot detach. Now the context of this match was that in the previous year's final, the same four players were on the court, but we had switched. So I was playing with Diana and Natasha was playing with Larissa. And how that switch happened was that when the match ended, uh, Yana and I lost six, four and a third. And, um, and I was devastated because I had never won Wimbledon. And um, it was, you know, nine twenty at night. We were playing on center court and this was going to be the last game that we played. And we're going to call it for darkness. So all she had to do was hold serve. She holds serve, one of the best services of our time. Get your first serve in. We hold, it's five all. We go, um, you know, we go home and we come back the next day. We get to play on center court again after the men's final, which would have been amazing, another amazing experience. But instead, she goes on and she double falls on match point. And we give the, the tournament away. And now make, to make matters worse, when we come off the court, she says, Gigi, I need to talk to you. And I said, whatever you want to talk about can wait because I don't want to talk about anything. I'm, you know, I was devastated. Um, and she said, no, 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 we got to talk. And I said, okay, what, what do you, what, what's going on? And she says, I don't want to play with you anymore. And I was like, what? We just won the French three weeks before. And we made the finals of Wimbledon. And we're the, at least the second best team in the world, if not the first. 
Um, but she had, what, unbeknownst to Natasha and I, Yana and Larissa had already agreed to play together the rest of the year. <laughs> so Yana dumped me, Larissa dumped Natasha, and then the two of them started playing together right away. Then Natasha and I, it took us nine months to start playing together. We started to get playing together in April. So now we're playing them in the finals and we're 4-1 down. And my guy says, oh, you just got to detach from the outcome. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? Like, I want to be these girls so bad. You can't yeah. even and call girls, calling them nicely girls, because that's not what I thought at the time, right? Yeah, not just so when, I, having to win Wimbledon, but then that relationship. That whole, you know, that, that whole extra energy around it. So I said to him, well, how do I do that? Like, it sounds so difficult. And he said, well, basically, you have to go out and you have to play every point like it's the last point you'll ever play. But you have to understand that if you win or lose, in the end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. Because if you, what's going to happen if you lose? Like, you're not going to lose an arm or a leg. You're not going to die. Your parents are still going to love you. You're still the French Open champion. You're still the woman finalist. You still have a whole career ahead of you. No, it's really, when, you, when, you, when it boils down to it, nothing really super bad happens when you lose a match. <laughs> you just lost the match. Yeah. So just to keep yourself, keep telling yourself, detach, you got to detach and and, you know, guess what? We went out and we lost one more game. We won 6-4, 6-1. We played that team in five out of the next six Grand Sum Finals. I never lost to them in, in a Grand Sum Finals. So that was nice. like revenge taken. Um, and that became my career motto. I mean, that was like the touch from the outcome was uh, kind of what changed, changed my career around. And, um, you know, and, I, and people would ask me all the time, like, how, do I, how did I turn it around? And I would never, I never share that with anybody. <laughs> I don't want to tell anybody. Wow. Very, very late in my career, um, my last year on tour, I, I told one other player, that's what I used to do. And then she went on to win six Grand Slams after that. So, um, so it's really helpful to, if you can learn the skill of detaching from the outcome. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And so, I mean, what other, how can we actually uh, practice detaching from the outcome? I mean, I know we mentioned mindfulness, but is there any, any other things that you might have done as well or, or have seen others do to detach? Yeah. So, you know, one thing, one thing that I had, I had this thing called the little black box. And the little black box was this box in my head where I put all my own wanted thoughts. So, so the th that thought of winning would go in the little black box. And the thing with the little black box that was – kind of awkward and it's kind of odd when you, when you think about it, there's this black box in my head and I would put things in it. But what was important about that was that when, if I said to you, like Marvon, you're playing a match and I say, just, you know, don't be angry, just let it go. How, don't be mad. How, how does that work for you? It doesn't, right? Yeah, I'd probably I get mean, mad at you. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, it, but yeah. even, even at ourselves, when you're, when you're mad about something, something that happened, it's very hard to not be mad about it. Like if my partner missed the ball on set point, I'm mad. I mean, I'm like, how the hell did she miss that? But if I let that affect me, then I'm, we're going to lose. So then what I would do is I would take that thought and I would put it in, in the box. And anything that I put in the box would not affect me. But at the end of the match, when the match was over, then I would go back and I would revisit what was in the box. So then I would be like, I could go to her. How the hell did you miss that ball and set point? You know, we almost lost the match because you missed that ball. Or, you know, my coach used to upset me all the time. Like, like I used to yell at my coach, like Andy Murray yells at his box. So I, so whatever he did to upset me would go in there. And then after the match, I would yell at him. It's like, why are you doing that? You know? Um, but again, it's, it's so any, so any thought that I didn't want would go in there. So when I, when I would start thinking ahead of the win or the title or, um, you know, it's, you know, I would put those thoughts in the box and like leave them there for until a little bit later. You know, it really, when it boils down to it, you cannot win a match until you get to match point, <laughs> right? I mean, you cannot win a match until you get to match point. So the only time really that you should be thinking of match point or worrying about match point is when you get to match point. Um, not, you know, not three, one in the first or, you know, five, two in the second It's still, you still uh, got to get to match point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and try to somehow detach from that need to win, right? Understand that this life doesn't end if you lose. <laughs> yeah, so. Gigi. Yeah, and uh, interesting. You know, with the uh, the the black box technique, which I actually really like, um, 
were you right away, it kind of reminds me of the flip the switch question, but were you able to right away just easily um, say, okay, that's fine. And just put it in the black box or did it take you time? You know, like, did you try to put it in the box, but then you couldn't put it in and you still got pissed off a few times and then it gradually. You know, yeah. Went. So there was a lot of things going on at the same time that created um, this mental dominance that I, that Natasha and I had. I mean, we went, we won 14 Grand Slams in five years. So when we started playing in, in April of 92 until 97, which is five years, we won 14 Grand Slams. That's almost three Grand Slams a year. We were winning 10 tournaments a year. Um, so at that time in 92, not only did I learn how to meditate, I learned diaphragmatic breathing. Um, I started to use, you know, I had a, a mental coach. So I started working on visualization. I did a lot of visualizing. Um, I practiced my concentration. Like I would stare at a ball for, you know, 20 minutes at a time and look at the fuzz in it and like really get mesmerized with the ball. It, you know, if you can, if you can stare at a ball for 20 minutes, you, you're doing really good. You're concentrating for 20 minutes and you're probably, you'll translate that into a, you know, one and a half, two hour match. It's not hard to just look at the ball for 20 minutes and not look at anything else. Try it. You'll see how hard that is. <laughs> um, so it's all these things combined that, created the mental the mental dominance that that you know natasha and i had and and the mental control that i had over myself and again i made it i made it like a battle between me and my brain so when i make it when i made it a competition i'm such a competitive person not only was it competing against the opponent but i was also competing with that voice in my head and i didn't want it to win i wanted to beat the voices in my head so i just didn't buy into them i didn't I didn't let him take control over me. Mm -hmm. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Gigi, I know you, you said you were, you, you were happy to ask me questions, but I feel like I'm asking you a ton, but I, I do have another <laughs> No, that's one. okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, no, we're trying to learn from the, you know, the, one of the greatest here. So uh, let's, let's give an example. Let's say I see Lou here with his cool blue headphones. What's up, Lou? So, so let's say that Lou, and I'm sure he's made it this far, but let's say he has made it to the finals of a sectional tournament for like the very first time. And so he's in a new environment mm -hmm. and you know, that's something again, it's like new for him and he hasn't been there and he's facing an opponent who's actually been there before to the finals many times. Mm -hmm. So, and this is similar to uh, like Sophia Kennan, for example, where she made the finals of a grand slam recently and she Australian, I think, and she managed to win against a much more experienced opponent. I was it Serena, I think? But so what advice would you give somebody like Lou or whoever else who, who is in a new environment, who is facing an experienced opponent to give them the best chance of being able to, to win? Yeah, great question. So, you know, what I tell people is the court is 120 feet long and 36 feet wide, regardless of where you are, right? I mean, whether you're playing Sarah Court at Wimbledon or you're playing the club championship or you're playing your, in your league, you know, regionals for the first time, it's just another court with, four, with lines in it and opponents, you know, so you cannot, you have to try to take the importance away or you have to try to not make that match more important than any of the other matches. Um, and it's, in a way, it's very easy to do that. And in a way, I know that some people will think it's hard to do that. Um, but if you, if you start having this mindset that, uh, you just got to win the next point and every point is just as important as the last point. Then when you're playing and, and you've been doing this for a couple of months, you know, you, you did it to get to regionals and you get it to, you know, to get to nationals. So if you always have the same mindset, whether you're playing in a you know, club match that maybe doesn't mean as much, or even you're playing in a practice match with someone, um, even in practice, if you, if you're, you know, when you're playing practice, when you're playing competitive practice, right? So when you're just drilling, obviously different story, but if you're, in a, if you're all of a sudden playing a practice match 
then try to treat that practice match as you would a match. So do your, do your routines before the serves, you know, try to go at the same speed that you would if you were playing a match. So you try to start treating practice like it's a match. So then when you play your match in your you know, local rounds and you play your match in the nationals, it's just another match, right? And that's how you try to treat it. But the reality is that, um, and I get it because I, you know, this, this might make you all feel better, but when I played, I played um, USDA nationals in uh, October of last year, and I was talking about that before we started, because I had not, I have not played tennis since because I've been, I was hurt because I played too many matches and my knee blew up and then my plantar fasciitis. But I, there was one particular match that I, I could not shake the nerves. And I kept telling myself, like, what is wrong with you? Like, you are one Wimbledon. How can you be nervous playing 5-0 USTA League Nationals? Um, but it's just human nature, right? But, but the, importance, the, the importance is, or what I then continue to tell myself is like, but of course I can play nervous. Like, we can all play nervous. You know, there, they, you will, there, were, there are matches that you play that where you'll be nervous the entire match. But it does not mean that you're going to play bad. In fact, sometimes people play better when they're nervous because they have, um, you know, they they're in, they have good butterflies. You know, it, mm. it's almost worse not to have the butterflies because you don't care. So just telling yourself that um, that you are going to play well when you when you're nervous because you care and you're um, you know you're into the match and you're going to give it a hundred percent. So so yeah, that's what I would do. Mm. So Gigi. Um... You know, this happened to me, of course, and everybody, and, you know, you mentioned yourself as well. You know, let's say we're in a match and we're playing and then for, you know, for we, it's kind of close and then we really feel like even physically our feet stop moving or we get, we feel tight, you know, again, this has happened to like everybody. So what, what, what should we do? Like, is it a, a mental thing that we should change or a physical, like any techniques or anything that you'd suggest to, to get us out of that uh, nervousness uh, state and, and to be able to refocus and play pretty yeah. well again? Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's important to understand that when people get nervous, they, there's two different types of reactions that they have. And it's called a fight or flight response, right? Um, when the, the, your body is going through a physiological change when you are under stress. So if you run into the bear in the woods or you're playing imagine you're under stress physiologically your body's going through the same thing your muscles are tightening you may have nausea you have butterflies in the stomach you have to you feel like you have to go to the bathroom some people get tightness in the chest uh, dry mouth uh, and these are physiological reactions that are not going to change right but but people are either gonna if people who run to the bear in the woods are either going to want to fight that some people want to shoot the bear they want to fight the bear right and other people are going to run as far away from the bear as possible and how that translates in the tennis court is some people overplay, some people overswing, some people overpoach, they hit the ball too hard. So they overdo it under pressure. And then other people get paralyzed. They stop moving, their feet stop. That was me. I used to, under pressure, I used to get a severe case of lead foot. So then, what, so then once you understand which one you are, and again, some people are overhyped and some people are underhyped. Um, then you tell yourself things to counter whatever it is you're doing. So I was always telling myself, move your, your feet triple time or move your feet quadruple time. Um, all, more activity for the, for the people who get kind of down and low um, and paralyzed, then it's all, you always have to think of overdoing it. Like move more, be more aggressive, you know, swing your arm more. Um, and then for the other people, it has to be the reverse. Like take it easy one point at a time. You don't have to hit a winner on the first ball. Etc. Gotcha. So Lou had, had a question. How do professionals prepare in the locker room mentally before the match? Um, you know, everybody's a little bit different. I had my, I had my routines. Um, I used to always go in the toilet in the same bathroom stall for the whole tournament. If somebody was sitting, was going in my bathroom stall, I would have to wait for them to come out. Um, <laughs> TMI. I no, would, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> TMI. Yeah. Then I would, uh, I always brought my tape. I used to take my fingers. So I would tape my fingers in the bathroom in the same direction. You know, and I mentioned the bathroom because it's a really great place to get mentally ready for your matches because it's, you're enclosed and there's not a lot of distractions. So I actually tell my students that they should go in the bathroom before they go out on court, especially for league players when, you know, you're usually running into your match if you're not getting there with plenty of time or 
because tennis is social um, at the league level, the recreational level, people are talking to you right before you go out and it's really hard to like turn it on. So it's a really good trick to just go to the bathroom, go in there, you're enclosed, you know, it's like there's these four walls um, and, and that's where you start doing your mental preparation. Um, and then for, for um, pros are, everybody's different. Some people like to get a workout in, some people like to run around, some people like to be with their coach. I used to meditate. I used to take, you know, 10 or 15 minutes if I had the time, which I usually would, you know, kind of block that time into it. The only reason I wouldn't have it is if somebody had, you know, if there's an injury. So like if a match, say I was third on and the second match on, somebody defaulted and I might be rushed for time. But usually I try to block 10 or 15 minutes before matches to like just calm down and work on my breathing. Um, and then somebody's asking, when does the routine become a superstition? Mm. Um, superstitions and tennis are good. I mean, I think there there's a fine line between them. And I think uh, you have to have them. I don't know anybody that was ever good in tennis that didn't have very set routines, um, very specific and very repetitive and very, um, very, very detailed, right? Um, and, and sometimes you don't see everything that's going on because a lot of it's going on in our heads. Um, but yeah, it becomes part of your superstitions. Uh, like one of them for me was that one going into the same bathroom stall. Um, I also used to always sit in the same side of the, of the chair. Like I always sit in doubles. I always sit closer to the umpire. Mm. So we had two chairs, but I always took the inside chair. Um, you know, little things like that or not stepping on the lines is another one that's pretty common. And these are just kind of mental tricks that you do to keep your mind um, kind of in some kind of focus. <laughs> Yeah, just like uh, like Rafa. I think uh, Rafa stole this from you, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> but uh, with superstition, superstitions, but really routines that really enable you to be more comfortable in your environment, no matter where you are. Um, right. And, and just, just a slight, you know, uh, off topic, but more fun one. Like, what's the craziest super superstition? Okay, well, hold or on. Hold, hold your oh, yeah. hold your question for a second, because Harry is saying that he was so good at making winning or losing not that important that he. He was personally losing lost a rematch. And you're missing the point, Harry. <laughs> it's not that winning or losing is not that important. You, so what I said was you have to make winning like everything. Like you have to want to win so bad that you fight for every point like it's your life. But if you lose, you're okay, right? You have to be okay with losing. But, but while the match is going on, you're not okay with losing. While the match is going on, you cannot give in to – um, you know, having lulls or starting to play bad or whatever. You have to like fight that. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, it's not okay to play a match thinking it's okay to lose, which is what it sounds like, like Harry was doing. You play the whole match thinking it's not okay to lose. And then if you were to lose, then, then you deal with it. Um, all right. There are days when you can do everything in other days. And he That's also wants one. to know whether some days you can do everything in other days, nothing. That's the $64,000 question. <laughs> um, I think the difference, you know, like uh, the difference between the great players and the good players um, is the, the difference between their level and the great days and the not so great days, right? So, so if you think of a curve or a continuum, right? So this is your best tennis and your bad days, you go to here, right? And then some players, this is their best tennis and their worst day, they go to here. Right. So, so that, so, I mean, to me, you're only as good as your bad days. Everybody can play, everybody in their good days is good, but how do you find a way to win in your bad days? Um, that's what the great players do. And there was plenty of matches when, when Natasha and I went through that five year streak, there was plenty of matches where we were having bad days and we had a lot of matches. We were down match point and, um, you know, three type three sets, 12, 10 in the third and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, but you just find a way. And if you don't find a way then you don't find a way, but, but, um, but eventually you get better at your bad days, get better. And that's the goal to make your bad days better. Yeah. There's a lot of good questions. I'm going to prioritize them uh, and then we can, you know, change as needed. But, uh, let's see. Selen, Selenai asks, how do you relax enough to just not get tight in your game or match? Um, so this starts beforehand. This starts with your pre-match preparation. Um, and you know, I think of, of some of the, to me of all the, uh, mental toughness pillars and you know the roadmap to mental dominance I cover seven pillars in there the brain understanding your brain what to do about it um, we have goal setting we have pre-match preparation we have match mentality uh, which is you know depending on your opponent who's your opponent 
Um, then there's the, what I call the crave sequence, which, which is what you do in the 25 seconds between points. And then there are trigger words. And then there's um, mental toolkit, which is 12 things or 13 things that I, that you can do from the mental perspective. Some of the things we've been talking about, like meditation and concentrating and breathing and whatnot. But um, to start out, the question was, um, how do you start out playing well? It's like you have to prepare for your matches properly. And how you prepare for your matches a lot of times makes it's the difference between winning and losing. And I, I feel like recreational players do a really bad job of preparing mentally for their match, or even preparing for the matches, let alone mentally. Um, they, a lot of times you just kind of you know, don't think about your match the day before. You should be thinking about your matches the day before. Um, there's just really definitely certain things that you should be doing um, before your matches, which I, I cover in the roadmap. Um, hopefully you guys will get, some of you will buy that. Um, I'm, I'm offering that this year at a 70% discount from last year. Last year was $250. This year is 97 and includes the GG method. So I'm giving um, the GG method away also. Um, so there's lots of more great information in there. We'll take, we'll take three hours for you and I to cover all of it. <laughs> so hard to cover all of it, but, but, um, but to answer the question, it, it all, it really starts with your pre-match preparation and how you get ready for your matches. Awesome, Gigi. Um, let's see. We've got a bunch of, huh. yeah, got a kind of a mix of like uh, non-mental and mental. Um, I mean, one mental one, interesting. Were you ever so nervous that you almost had nausea? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first time I'm trying to think, um, I probably threw up at some point before a match. I mean, I don't remember probably the first time I had I walked on center court. I'm sure I was dying. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't remember so long ago, but, but yeah, definitely. It's, an, it's not an uncommon reaction. Again, it goes, you know, I was talking about the physiology of fight or flight and that's a, it's a human physiological reaction to stress that you cannot don't like, if you're having it, don't feel bad because you're human, you know, you cannot stop physiology. Sometimes when I do this, this mental presentation, I ask if there's any doctors or nurses on, uh, watching if your doctors or, or nurses watching thank you so much for what you're doing you really are the heroes um but i say that because they they're, they kind of are my uh, my ally on this you know with physiology you cannot change the phys physiology of a human it's just going to happen it's like breathing right it's like if i did that you would startle and then there's a physiological reaction that went on in your body um, and you cannot stop it. So if you're feeling nauseous for your matches, you're a human. There's nothing wrong with it. For sure. For sure. GG. Um, Somebody's you... asking if we should do research on potential opponents. Um, I, I say 100% yes. If you have that ability, um, you know, with tennis pros are, I never went on a match not knowing who my opponent was, not knowing their tendencies, not knowing their favorite shots and um, very rare to play someone new for the first time. Um, usually you'd seen them and, um, but it's very, with recreational tennis, the complete opposite, like 90% of the time you play, you don't know who you're playing. So you have to be really good job on the warm up and the warm up you use to assess your opponent, not to warm up yourself. So you try to get as much information as possible about your opponents in the warm up. For sure. For sure. Uh, oh, interesting. Um, how many, oh, did, okay. How many matches would you suggest to play per week to build your mental toughness oh that's a good question you know that's one thing that i i think unfortunately for um the more the the more the better for from the mental perspective the more matches you can play you can sort of if you have a bad match you can kind of get back out there quickly um but i don't you know recreational tennis is sort of not set up that way you know usually you have um you know, it's not like professional tennis where you play a match today and you play another one tomorrow another one tomorrow another one tomorrow right but, with league tennis, it's kind of sporadic. Some people play one match a month. Some people play three in a week, and then they don't play again. But but the more you play, the more mentally tough you're going to become. So if you, if you could play, you know, a tournament like five matches in a row, um, you're definitely at the end of that fifth match, you're going to be a lot mentally tougher than you were going to be when you started. For sure, for sure, Gigi. Um, yeah, I mean, did you want to? keep taking questions or do you want to talk a little bit about the, the free workshop? I mean, we can do either way. Yeah, let's just answer this. There's one more here that I was going to answer and then we can talk about that. Sure. Um, 
Oh, ha, the winning the warm up. Yeah, if you're if you're warming up, you know, one tip that I have for people when they're warming up is um, when you warm up, you definitely want to try to hit with both players. So if you've never seen the opponent, um, warm up with, you know, the do side, if you're playing do side, and then after like a minute, go to the outside and warm up with the other person. That's something that I do now when I play recreational tennis and I haven't seen the opponent. Um, and then warming up with your partner, you know, again, if you shouldn't be using the warm up to warm up yourself, you should have hopefully already warmed up. Um, if you yeah. did not, if you are not able to warm up because you didn't have the court time, at, le- at minimum, you should be doing some um, dynamic stretching. So you're at least kind of, you know, ready to go. Um, yeah, and the warm up is really not that important. Like you, it's not, it doesn't really matter how you warm up. I mean, I played some great matches when I had terrible warm ups, and I played terrible matches when I had great warm ups. So there's no correlation between how you play in the warm up and how you're going to play in the match. So if uh, so, I would say just kind of put up with it and start the match and kick their butt. That's what I say to um, Salanaya, Salanaya. So yeah, let's talk about the workshop because I have to go put my kids to sleep pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, sure. Yeah, just yeah, what, what, so, what can we expect from it? Yeah, so um, so the roadmap to mental dominance, I covered seven pillars to it, and then the free workshop, there's 46 videos in the whole roadmap to mental dominance and the workshop has three of them. So it has, I cover the match mentality of the server. Um, and then I also talk about how to hold server nodes from the GG method. So there's two videos on that one. And then we talk about concentration and we talk about the low black box. Um, it's free. So, um, everybody should go ahead and download that. You can go to roadmap to mental dominance.com and, uh, get it from there. And then that same link on Monday will go to the full program when it's available. It'll be available um, from Monday to Friday. We also, I also have a referral program going. So if you know someone who you think could benefit from this pro- program and you refer them to us for every 25 referrals that we get, we're raffling off a tennis, uh, I'm sorry, for every 50 referrals, we're raffling off a tennis express gift card. So we have about already about 150 people that have been referred. So sometimes like a subtle way to tell your partner that they need help with the mental game, <laughs> refer them to this program. And how that referral link is on the emails that I'm sending. It's on my email sequence. So if you join my list, um, a G friend of tennis, join my mailing list, then you'll start getting my emails if you're not already getting them. Awesome, Gigi. Yeah, I mean, it's And it's then make sure to use yeah. your link, right? You send them the link. Yeah, I put it in the uh, in the chat there. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, so that's that's you can get the free workshop uh, there, roadmap to mental dominance workshop, and obviously yeah, well, they should use yeah. your link though. Mervana has a unique link for this, so that so these are your followers, and there's a commission share there. So to help Mervana out, they should use your specific link. Like, yeah, if, if you like, you know, it's up to you, but, um, yeah, help her out. Ah, it's, you <laughs> know, but, it, but I mean, I would, you know, either way I'd encourage you cause that particular link is to the free workshop as well. So you can check it out. Right. Um, so definitely nothing to lose there and a lot of great free training there for you to check out. And yeah, you know, the mental game is just unbelievably important. You know, everything really starts from the mind. It's, uh, you know, making the proper decisions to, to even move forward and move past, you know, uh, limiting thoughts in your head that like it all starts from there to to be able to improve your game and so i'm i'm personally really excited to dive into gg's roadmap to mental dominance and you know i mean i think you know my my life's uh goal is to learn from the best people in the world the experts and you know you can't get any better from a than from a 17 time grand slam champion so thank uh, you def- definitely yeah There's for a sure lot of good information in there and it really yeah. covers everything I did to become mentally tough. And then, you know, I don't know if I said this, but this is not a gift that I was born with. You know, I actually had the worst temper of anybody on tour. I used to break hundred rackets a year. I used to pay my fines before the year started. I was called the female McEnroe. I was going (laughs) to quit. I literally was going to quit tennis four years into my career. And then I met Jim Lair and the things that he helped me uh, with, you know, changed my life around. I literally went to the 1998 US Open and that was going to be my last Grand Slam. And I ended up winning it thanks to Jim Lair and the things that he taught me. And that's the kind of stuff that I share with you in the program. Awesome. So, Very awesome. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for, for joining. Um, we will, I'll send you the link to, so you can post it for people who didn't get to watch it. And uh, I really appreciate it. And we'll be in touch. 
Yeah, thank you everybody. Please stay safe and check out the workshop. Uh, it's totally free, so it'll be uh, great for you to to you know level up your your mental game. And thank you, Gigi. Always great to speak with you, and I hope to uh, talk with you again really soon. And best of luck with everything. Thank you. Take care. All right, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you. All right. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with 17-time Grand Slam champ Gigi Fernandez on building your roadmap to mental dominance. And uh, I would really highly advise you, like I do with uh, most other content that you listen to, is to try to take away uh, perhaps one to three pieces of advice that really resonated with you in this episode and to implement that and take action on it so that you can really benefit from these podcast episodes that I'm putting together with uh, the best of the best, like Gigi. So, and again, if you are interested in really diving deep into uh, the mental game and to to be able to really use your mind to dominate and uh, defeat both your your fears that you hold when deep inside of you and also uh, your fears of your opponent and and to to really win more matches and be more successful in tennis and life then definitely highly encourage you to check out the roadmap to mental dominance and that's at tennisfiles.com slash mental dominance which is spelled T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S dot com slash M-E-N-T-A-L-D-O-M-I-N-A-N-C-E. And depending on when you listen to this episode, it may or may not be available. Um, but I'll also have the links uh, that I mentioned today on the show notes page. So uh, and that'll be at tennisfiles.com slash 147. And also uh, the show notes will be in the podcast app that you're using. Very highly likely, at least. Uh, I also would really highly encourage you, if you like uh, the Tennis Files podcast, to leave a review for the show. And you can, again, do that in your favorite podcast app of choice. You just uh, click the review button there, Uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. That would help a lot, but really anywhere. uh, It would help the show a lot with the rankings and visibility, which I would really highly appreciate. So leave a review to let me know what you think about the show. I'd also like to leave you uh, with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Carlos Castaneda. And Carlos said, What weakens us is feeling offended by the deeds and misdeeds of our fellow men and women. Our self-importance requires that we spend most of our lives offended by someone. That is a very interesting and deep quote there by Carlos. All right, well, uh, I really... Appreciate as usual all your support and messages and everything. And I recently did my very first live podcast interview with WTA Pro Danielle Lau, and you'll be hearing that next week on the show. And it was really a lot of fun. We got some really fantastic questions and a lot of really great and positive comments in real time about the episode, which is really just great to see. And that means that I will be doing more of them for sure. So uh, with that, uh, thanks again. And please stay safe, uh, especially if you're going to go out there on the tennis courts and adhere to the procedures and guidelines of your local areas and any others that apply. And wish you all the best. Thanks again. And I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is Mirabon signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.